From deep inside the Death Star, I'm Andrew Richards. And I'm Chris Jackson. And welcome to Defrag Tools, the show that takes you inside Windows and inside Microsoft. Chris is back on Channel 9. This is Chris Jackson. Um, it's been a while since you've been on Channel 9. <laughs> we, we were just discussing... It was with Robert Hess, I believe, was the last time I was on the show, who back, sort of back in the dark ages. Yeah. Uh, we, I think I rode my covered wagon in to do that recording. It was one of those very office-y ones, and it was just a very... Uh, you know, spur of the moment type conversation type thing. And you're known for being the App Compact Guy. And I think it's appcompactguy.com? Appcompactguy.com will redirect you to my blog, yes. Um, and so you did, for a long, long time, you were working out you know, build to build um, compatibility of, of, of applications mm -hmm. and helping people do the right thing and not do something stupid that wouldn't last a test of time. So, But now, what do you do? So you kind of evolved from that and move on to other career choices? Uh, still, still part of what I do, obviously. And heck, that's what we're going to be talking about today is about the compatibility impact of security features that we get yeah. turned on. Uh, but we also have to make sure that it's not going to impact our ability to get stuff done. right? So I work as an architect in our uh, you know, customer acceleration team. I'm part of, part of customer experience engineering in Windows. So really, as the representative of the customer, right? What, is it, what does it take to actually get our stuff put out there? Yeah. Um, and a lot, a lot of focus on security and really taking advantage of it. Not just getting there, but getting there and turning stuff on. Right? And staying so there. So you're not on a <laughs> treadmill, right? You treadmill, you're done, you're hot, you're sweaty, and you look up and you're in the same spot you were before, right? Instead, you want to move forward mm. as you're going along. Get to that next yeah, yeah. layer of, of security. Exactly. So one of the products, last week we talked about Windows Defender Application Guard. We're going to talk about another Windows Defender feature today called ATP and, and other things associated with it. So maybe explain kind of what the scope is for what we're going to talk today and, and what sure. kind of it achieves. Yeah, so, well, ATP, well, because it's Microsoft, we like to rename things. In fact, I've often uh, suggested that I do believe that we give people bonuses in marketing based on how many times they rename a product. Um, and the evidence seems to suggest that I might be onto something there. So ATP is the new umbrella name for all of the features uh, for the security stack in Windows. So what's, this, what's the acronym stand for? Uh, Advanced Threat Protection. Advanced Threat Protection, okay. Yeah, and so the two components we want to kind of put together today, one of them is a feature that really helps to lock down the endpoint, uh, which is Exploit Guard. We'll kind of go into one of the sort of a subset of that. We're not going to cover it all. We don't really have enough time. Uh, but also using the EDR functionality, so what we used to call Defender ATP, and now we will refer to as just the EDR component of ATP, uh, to go through and put the two together to actually run a process start to finish to get something turned on. And EDR is? Endpoint detection and response. Lots of acronyms here, isn't there? Yeah, well, security nerds like to make stuff up, so no one thinks, <laughs> no one knows what they're talking about, so. That's very cool. So, let's get started. Let's uh, dive into something and, and learn. Well, yeah, I'm going to real quickly kind of go over what things do, and I've just got a little quick PowerShell script that I use to uh, enable things, and, and basically, uh, these are attack surface reduction rules. So, fundamentally, what we're trying to do is target some behaviors that are pretty uncommon for well-meaning software, but common for malicious software. Okay. Because the w situation we ran into, when you think of like the ransomware threats that happened last year, what was the most common pattern we saw, which was, I'm going to send you an email with a Word document, you're going to click through, enable everything, and next thing you know, your hard drive's encrypted, right? Mm -hmm. Very, very bad day for you and your company. Um, so we then look at, well, how do you defend against that, right? What, what behaviors do we want to turn off? And you're like, well, not a problem, just uninstall the apps that they're using. So just take Word off the system and the problem goes away. Uh, has a slight impact on productivity. So can't do that. Yep. So then you're like, all right, well, next I do, I do love WordPad, though. 
but yes. <laughs> I'd actually be curious what our telemetry is and how often that actually gets launched. I'm guessing it's not real high. Yeah, not high. Um, I'm pretty sure Notepad beats it. <laughs> <laughs> so so we, can't, we can't just turn it off, right? No, That's no. too much, right? Now you're throwing out the baby with the bathwaters. So then we're like, all right, well, what are the behaviors that led to it? And it's like, well, it's, it's macros. But you go to most companies these days, particularly in financial services, and just turn off macros, and again, you're going to disrupt a business. Yeah. So then you start thinking through, well, what are some of the things that I real specifically, what behaviors are not just turn off all macros or even try to sign all my macros, because again, that's an arduous process. People just can't get it done. But you start looking at behaviors within there like, should my macro be spawning a new executable? Ah, oh, so you go, you go down to the API surface layer of the macro, yeah. of v VB scripts, Visual Basic scripts. Yeah, should, should be, yeah, so we sort of look in some of the rules here, like should my email client be kicking off an executable bit of content? Hmm. That's pretty unusual. Like, it if is. I'm people, first of all, if it gets through, it'd be kind of odd. Um, but should, should my Office app create a child process uh, or generate a new executable and lay it on the hard drive? That's unusual mm -hmm. behavior for well-meaning things. And so the attack surface reduction feature of Exploit Guard of ATP, so kind of triple nested here, is designed to say these are behaviors we're going to turn off. Mm -hmm. right? So things that we can enable and, and disable to put in those protections. But of course, the big cue is always, we didn't turn it on by default. Mm. Why not? Yeah. Care to guess? There's Business reasons to do it for some corporations or something? It's the 1% case or something? Yeah, we break stuff. Yeah. Because there, there are going to be, I mean, I've been doing app compat since 2006. There's yeah. some app somewhere that's dropping an executable from a macro. Yeah, there's an edge case out there that's justified that is weird. <laughs> Everything. <laughs> right, for all yeah. these different things, there's all, there's all kinds of things. And actually, you know, put together a little, little bit of, uh, of code uh, that's going to go through and, and tickle one of these rules. So one of the rules, let's kind of zoom in on the rule first and kind of explain what it is. Uh, we have a rule that we added. This is for the 1803 release uh, of Windows 10 uh, that's going to say, hey, let's stop you from popping into LSAS with too much privilege. Mm -hmm. And of course, you'd probably rightly ask, well, doesn't CredGuard protect against that? And the answer is, well, yeah, if I, if I have credit, if I have a device that's compatible with CredGuard. Mm -hmm. uh, but there can be two reasons why people can't turn that on right now, right? Number one, their hardware doesn't support it. They is don't it, have a TPM. Is it a TPM thing, yeah. So they can't, they can't enable the feature, right? The second one is, I have an app somewhere in my environment that has a dependency on NTLM v1. Mm. And as soon as I enable CredGuard, that gets turned off and my app's going to possibly break. Mm. So here's a rule that can be like, yep, yeah, you know what? You can't actually you know, put in the defense, so let's at least put in some signals, right? A, a tripwire that we can trip over on the way there. Yeah, it's uh, definitely an escalation here. It's like awareness and then action, right? Yeah, you order mm -hmm. the action and then decide, is this even happening? Is it going to hurt us in normal operation? Yep. And then apply that knowledge. Let's say a really important subject right there is that all of these rules have audit mode. Mm -hmm. So you can see what's the impact going to be. Um, so let's, let's actually walk through. Yeah. I got to say, have some code to walk through here. I love code. Um, <laughs> I thought that you might, uh, but this is actually a fairly straightforward bit of code that's going to just enumerate the contents of every single process on the system, right? So it's going to enumerate everything, and then it's going to be like, oh, I'm going to print out some information about it. So here's the process name, and then I want to get information about the process. So what do we call to get information about the process? Open process. Open process. And what do we do in terms of the argument for what privileges we want for open process? Give me everything that you're willing to give me. Exactly. I'd like it all, please. Yes. 
Even though if I just want to ask a simple name, I'm not going to ask for everything because I'm greedy. <laughs> <laughs> so this, this code pattern is really, really common. It is very common. Um, and I'm, we see it all the time. In I personally fact, am guilty of that exact line I, of code. <laughs> I, I was going to run this to kind of show where we get tripped over. And it turns out I have a piece of software running on my system uh, already that will trip this about once per second. Uh, I have no idea who writes this thing, this proc exp64. No idea where that comes from. It's we'll a mystery. We'll have to uh, search for it on, on yeah, Bing. Yeah, probably find somewhere. But yeah, about once per second, I'm already <laughs> tripping this from a tool that's designed to look through every process. Yeah. Um, so if I'm going to understand the impact, I kind of want to start with the perspective of auditing. So if you haven't tweaked, that was Press Explorer. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping Mark doesn't actually watch these things. So he therefore. does sometimes, and we'll, we'll make fun of him. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, uh, so I have this concept right here. I can detect this happening. In this case, it's actually well-meaning, but it may have an impact on me. So something could go wrong. And so what I like to do in the context And I'll of point out, that actually may not be Presses Explorer. That may be a malware version of it that has the same name that is trying to get through a situation where it knows that Normally, this trips the alarm, and people might turn the alarm off for that thing. So it doesn't necessarily mean that actually was Presence Explorer in a malware situation, right? Mm -hmm. People make spchost.exes that are fake that still run SPC host code, but also do the malware payload. And so, yeah, you can't just by a, a pure file name, you can't. Uh, yeah, that's, that's well, okay. Yeah, we'll sort of also ignore for the fact that we're sitting in AppData local temp in terms of where it's actually executing from, because yeah. that's not assigned to malicious software at all. Yeah. Um, but Let's kind of get back to the, the, yeah, yeah, the, yeah, the, the, main, the main story here. I've kind of lost our plot a little bit, yeah, a bit sorry. Uh, which is, you know, great. Here's a, here's a legitimate app that's going to be impacted. The rule's good. You're like, you know what? I don't want people randomly mucking about in LSAS. Yes. That makes sense. But at the same time, I have some legitimate reasons why I want to do that. We actually see this a lot. Well, Process Explorer is one example. We see a lot of times also, um, and we'll, we'll see some examples where the app is just trying to as part of like an auto-update routine is one mm. example, just see, hey, are any of me running, just iterate through all the processes and look through and see if any of them are mine yep. and do it that way. So with the audit mode, we have the ability to measure things. And what I want to do now is dig into how can we then gather that? Because we have it in the event logs, like you said, the yeah. event viewer, I built a special query. But we actually capture all of that in ATP's EDR, Endpoint Detection and Response. So maybe give a, a quick overview of what this website is and how people access it and what where the data comes from. Sure. So this is the Windows Defender Security Center, so part of the endpoint detection and response capability in Defender ATP. Mm -hmm. uh, so if you have, have Defender ATP, like the E5 subscription for Windows. So it's a type of an enterprise subscription of how Microsoft interacts with your company. Yeah. So I'm, some kind of licensing thing or something. Way too much of a nerd to understand yeah. all the subtleties of licensing. So somehow there's, there's a whole different type of nerd that does that yeah. type of work. So somehow we've got relationship with you and you're forwarding your central information to this endpoint that we provide you, yeah. that this, this website we provide you. So the agent itself is actually built into Windows. So mm -hmm. we have to pass all of our perf gates with the agent already there. So it's, this is not a sort of a bolt-on to the side. This is something that's core and functional to what Windows itself does. Yeah. And when you have an E5 subscription, you basically just send out a configuration that says, I would like you, Mr. Endpoint, to affiliate with this tenant. Mm -hmm. and then the data starts flowing towards that tenant and it gets aggregated. Now, the most common use case is to then let me sort through all that data and have it generate alerts for me. So it's going to add some intelligence and help to kind of clear the ground. In fact, we even have some automated responses where it's like this is your really basic tier one help desk type stuff. Mm -hmm. um, so we'll just automatically respond to that. 
and fix it, right? Some you can either choose to I want to say yes before you do it, or if I once I learn to trust it, I can just say automatically go through. So that's the most common workflow, which is I'm going to have you show me the things I should be worried about, mm -hmm. um, and maybe even fix them, right? Actually get me to saw it, fix it, everything's okay. Yep. Um, and so, but the other thing we have from a functionality perspective is this advanced hunting feature, and that's what we're going to use today, which is. It's not just the things that we know about. You could have malware that's specifically targeting you. Your corporation. No one else has ever seen it before. Your industry, Stuxnet, classic example of that. Yeah. Yeah. So this website has a, like a query language. So maybe explain what this query language is and the power of it. So the query language is uh, KQL, which stands for Kusto Query Language. Um, and we actually, you and I were chatting the other day. It's like, I don't, I don't know how well known that, that the word Kusto is, yeah. uh, it's popped up a lot. If you've used Azure Log Analytics, Azure Log Analytics uses the exact same syntax. Hmm. Um, what we're sort of noticing is that not a lot of security people have been doing that. It's you know, maybe 30 to 50% um, anecdotal numbers in terms of yeah. who I talk to. It's like, oh yeah, I've seen that before. And everyone else is like, I've seen SQL. I've never seen this one. Yeah. Um, it's actually a fairly straightforward language. I, I would say I learned to, I have reasons to use this language. I reckon under a day I became proficient in it, if that, under in hours. Because it is very SQL-esque, but the piping, um, really you just have to remember that this word in SQL represents this word in Kusto, and everything else is just really obvious. It just, it just kind of writes it itself. Mm -hmm. um, so well, you, you hit the magic word. It's the power of the pipe. It's just like PowerShell. Like PowerShell all of a sudden opens up to you as soon as you realize what the pipe does, mm. right? It is central to PowerShell and it is central to Kusto. You yeah. start with the data set, you pipe it into a function, and you end with another data set. That you can repeat, pipe repeat, into repeat. another function and end with another data set. You just chain it all together. Um, so what we'll do is sort of look, you know, kind of look into some of the things we have here. Uh, this is a real simple query, right? Advanced hunting lets me go and look for adversaries. I'm not hunting for adversaries now, though. I'm hunting for the impact of a security control. Mm. So this is not a detection query. I'm writing protection queries. Mm. Can I turn these things on? Mm. So I want to start with, hey, exploit guard, the attack service reduction feature, it actually has a signal that goes in. Like, hey, you tripped over this wire. It doesn't necessarily generate an alert, right? So we have all the, a lot of business logic behind it and, you know, smart AI type things that are mm. trying to, see, I said AI, because all of a sudden now we're going to be... Because everything's know, AI now. Exactly. got to be AI, otherwise you're not the new hotness. Yeah. Um, so, you know, but it's, it's part of the signal. So it's one of the things that's factored. And you can actually then go and query it. So we're actually going to say, how many events do you have? And in this case, I want to see, you know, show me what you've detected. Plain and simple. So just a very, very 15-second version of this. MISC event is a table, yep. kind of like we, the from clause in SQL. Where is where? Summarize is very analogous to, uh, to group by. Mm -hmm. And sort is analogous to order by. Yep. And you have learned Kusto. That's, if you can just remember those word changes, you're done. And we can actually, the, the yeah. next thing is performance optimizing KQL is put your where clause, your most restrictive where clause first. first. Get your data set smaller. <laughs> Make it small, then everything else goes faster because you're always yeah. working with these big data sets. Uh, that's exactly right. Take the whole table, filter it down, summarize it, and then sort it. The only tip I've got, which is completely a fog onto all of this, is that that contains word is looking for the string inside the string. There is another word called has, H-A-S. It has already done word splitting for you. So if you have like, uh, my lazy dog went to town, 
dog, you say dog because it's split by spaces or commas or dots, there's a high speed word cracker. But if you want to look for, you know, comma dog, it wouldn't find it with a has clause because it isn't a word breaking difference. And that's the difference between contains and has. But if you, if you know that you are on a word boundary, has will outperform contains considerably. If they pre-crack in the, in the backend database, they pre-crack mm -hmm. the words. So a little, little performance tip, talking about performance. Yep. So that very first query, which is where it tends to be, has versus contains. So yeah, cool. So uh, this is going to filter down this nice big data set yep. to and rows that have exploit guard ASR. So what's yeah. ASR stand for? Attack surface reduction. And then if we filter down, it's literally just either blocked or audited. One of two things that we've done. We've either said, nope, don't do this, or we've audited this. Mm -hmm. um, and kind of before we even move on from this is, you know, let's comment this out to kind of show the other things. Because, you know, when we look at the events that we have to choose from in terms of what's in my data set, mm -hmm. I've got the alerts. I've got information about the devices, about the network, about creating processes, network communication. So if I make a connection to an, a like an endpoint somewhere. Yeah. yeah like a, the so website could, or something. Yeah, you spotting hit. command. And, so if I spot a command and control destination that I suspect, I can say, well, what machines are talking to this mm -hmm. uh, and query that. You know, creating files, registry events, log on events, image load events, so grabbing DLLs and things like that. But miscellaneous, you can actually dump the whole lot and see, hey, what are all of the types of things that you're possibly looking for? Um, you know, primary process token modif modified. So if I'm changing the process token, we've actually seen that in a lot of malware where we'll actually inject additional pribs into a token uh, of the currently executing process, mm -hmm. right, as a way of gaining elevation of privilege, right? We'll just modify the token directly. Um, if you're reading process memory from somebody else, you kind of start to see some okay. of the types of events that we'll see. You ran PowerShell, then you can dig into well, what PowerShell did you run and start okay. searching there. Um, so that is pretty general purpose. So from a hunter perspective, it can kind of give you some sense of the power of the data that you have at your disposal to go mm -hmm. looking for stuff. Yeah. Right? We're just going to kind of stay focused now on, well, how do we sort of burrow through to say what's the impact? So if I just look instead at, hey, what's exploit guard doing? That's usually the first question I have. Hey, you're talking about exploit guard. You're saying it's great. Is anything going over it, right? Here's mm -hmm. a, I'm going to spend time and resources setting up some tripwires. If no one's tripping over them, I'm going to probably deprioritize that. So I'm actually getting bang for my buck from the feature. Mm, for sure. Um, but then kind of doing it down by, well, which rules am I running? Because there's more than just one rule. You can actually break it down. And uh, this is, of course, one of my favorite things in terms of output is the rules are all defined by GUID. Makes my heart happy. <laughs> it's uh, you know my it's my second second favorite ever to have we the precursor to exploit guard actually had a bit mask. Ooh. But it was a slightly different bit mask because you could have a one, or a zero, or a question mark. It was a quantum bit mask. <laughs> <laughs> like it was like Schrager's chat. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Like it's, it's either a one or it's both a one and a zero. A nullable bit mask. That is <laughs> awesome. It was uh, yeah it was something else. But I could start to look and see hey which ones of these are apps actually tripping over, in this case, is filtering down to audit level events. And we have both audit and block defined mm. uh, in the tenant I'm sitting inside. Uh, but when I'm thinking about compatibility, kind of rolling forward, I'm going to modify the query again. I'm still I'm filtering down uh, to exploit guard ASR. And I want to count and summarize by the device. Yeah. So if I turn this rule on, how many of my devices are going to be impacted? Is it all of them? Or is there a subset? So maybe it's just used in the finance Gary? department. Or is it just Gary? Is it Gary? <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Uh, and I can run this and start to see what's going to be the impact on the environment and sort of scroll across. Let's get the filters out of the way and see, oh, Gary <laughs> would have 1,979 block events generated on his device. And other than that, it's fairly yeah. minimal impact in terms of how many times they trip over it. Yeah. So when I think about what kind of program I want, again, anytime you're dealing with AppCompat, you've got to bring in the right amount of risk mitigation. And in simple as you might just go ask, Gary, what are you doing? And it might be valid. Right? Well, it's just we, have we the actually, start the conversation. We can see what Gary's doing. We can see what Gary's doing, yes. So we'll kind of continue burrowing down and say, hey, I want to actually look at it not from the perspective of the device, but the perspective of the app. And I can look and see, oh, well, Winward, and this one actually probably not surprisingly, we have specific ones that say Office can't do these things. So anytime we trigger one of those, it's going to be the Office app that works. So Word was tripping one of these rules. Um, Office click to run, interesting. Um, you know, the Tor browser was tripping over one. We're like, huh, why is Tor browser running? That's probably a little bit suspicious as mm. well. Um, I've got PowerShell tripping over some. Um, some WMI I saw. Got Google Update tripping over it. But then I had this GUID. I'm like, well, what is it tripping over? I don't know. So here's the next trick is. I assume you have a join here, right? We can, yes. So I'm actually creating a new data table where I'm going to put in some definitions. Bless you. Because today, <laughs> today we actually have this. There's, there's a GitHub repository that we have where we put in a bunch of queries. And mm -hmm. this is some, one of the queries that's put up there that includes this disambiguation. Yeah. So you can actually go through and then pull it down and say, all right, let me do a translation. Because this isn't in the built-in data set. Yeah. So you just add it to your query. So we'll, get, we'll get there. We'll start up by there'll, translating There'll be a reference it. table one day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then, yeah, let's go back and then show me the events by the app. And then if I run that again, then I get basically the same output with an actual definition. So now I can go into, these are the devices impacted, and these are the apps. And maybe this is truly something that I wanted to block, or maybe it's a macro. So now I've got to burrow through, but I have the starting point of, hey, we're going to have a little small compat project where we're going to have to test. So does the configuration allow you to like turn it on broadly and then opt someone out? Yeah. Uh, so it has to that opt individual applications out, and that's, that's part of the whole process is mm. audit, see which apps are going to be impacted, and then you can exclude those specific applications okay. if indeed they're broken, because that's the the next key part. Where we and what about the opposite? Can you just opt in a few? Can you do the opposite and only opt in people, and have it turned off by default for everybody else? Can you, rescue, can you whitelist it versus blacklist it? Can you opt in. So you want to target specific apps? Yeah, only these apps. Like PowerShell should just not do this, right? Or, or whatever it is. Yeah, that would be a bit strange because then all you gotta do is rename something if you're the bad guy oh, to run the malicious code. That's a good point. So and instead, you go like, all right, yeah, this, all right, this is an app I happen to trust, so I'm gonna allow this one. Yeah, and is the trust done by the executable name, or is it done by some type of certificate um, association? How do you identify the app for exclusion? Uh, typically by the executable name. Okay. So you could just make an executable. Yeah, name. or put in the path. I mean, the, you know, and the, if, I, if you put the full path in, it's a bit more uh, concrete and. Yeah, you're not yeah. running out of temp, right? And, and there, there may, and I'll, I'll, I'll you know, to be candid, there may be other options as well in terms of the exclusion rules. The majority of people I know, where I'm working with enterprise customers, who say they will always be in the spot, so we just say, all right, just yeah. exclude this one particular thing. That makes how much more it. sense. Yeah, um, I can't say that there's no other way to do it, so I just wanted to be clear yeah. that you know, um, just in terms of how they configure, that's how most people I work Definitely. with are doing that. Is saying, yep, just pull it out from here because it will always be there because that's how we packaged that's it. That's good. Cool. Um, but you know, kind of burrowing through, then I, I've got to figure out, these are the apps that are impacted. I know the number of seats that are going to be impacted. Then I need to figure out, do I need to exclude them? Because just because it sent an alert doesn't mean it's broken. Mm. 
right? And so we, and we go back to the example of this code before, look at what it's doing, open all access, and if it doesn't get it, Continue print on. something off and carries on, and it's not broken. You know, we, we have this enforced within Microsoft, and yet Process Explorer still works. It's not like, you know, one second into running it, you've got Dr. Watson coming yeah. along saying, hey, I'm not seeing a flood of traffic. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, the signal's there being generated, but it's not actually causing anything bad. So you still want to go and test it to mm -hmm. say, is this going to have an adverse impact based upon the rule? And that rule, tons and tons of false positives. Um, doesn't mean it's not, doesn't have value, mm -hmm but it means there are some that you want to exclude. So the exclusions there to reduce the noise are really important. Yeah. I, I assume that the, the appropriate follow through is to go change the code to be a, not, overly, so not so overly aggressive. Um, and, and maybe when it's a more bro like broader thing, restrict it, say I only want read, I don't want read and write. I actually only wanted to read. I was just being lazy mm -hmm. when I coded it. So that is a type of appropriate mitigation that you can do here. So then you kind of can, Get away from having exclusions. And, and even that, you, you would also have the special case in this case, LSAS, because even read access, I mean, that's exactly what we don't want you doing is reading LSAS memory. Yeah, good point. Yeah. So, but know, that's the type of code case, people should be writing. Uh, yeah, right? you should, you should, yeah, you should, principle of least privilege, people love principle of most privilege. I'll take all of the things because, hey, you never know when you might need yeah. it. Yeah. So what's the next step after you've kind of done this investigation and everything? What, what's the yeah. next step from here? Yeah, so in this case, right, we would, we would test because we would anticipate this one's probably not going to break. Um, and it's really, really common. It's not, you know, we, I know we picked on Mark a little bit, um, but it turns out that we actually published on docs.microsoft.com this code. code that will do exactly the same thing. Yeah. So it's not just something that's randomly showing up every now and then with a few updaters, but it's something that we say, hey, everyone, here's how to do it, and our own code will trip it. Yeah, our design pattern is not Yeah, it's compatible. not quite as notorious. My favorite code that we wrote for you, uh, if you actually go and get Visual Studio 6 and install Visual C++, create a new C++ executable project and mark it as expose it via ActiveX, mm -hmm. the first time you run it, it'll try and register itself at runtime in HQ Classes root. I remember that. <laughs> for free. We, gave, we didn't have to write that code. We gave you that code for free. Yeah, we're givers. We are. We are very, very generous. But you know, this, this is really, really common. It happens all the time. And chances are it doesn't break anything. So we just need to be mindful, right? It's showing up in the audit list. Yeah. That doesn't mean go write these exclusions. A little bit of extra caution based on the rule. And say, I'll, I would typically look at this particular rule, the credential stealing rule, and go, all right, that's something likely to be noisy. Um, I might want to turn it off just to reduce the volume in the event log because right now, as an example, Process Explorer is generating an event once a second mm. as it refreshes because that's the refresh rate that I have configured. So yeah. I might want to put it there to move the rule out, but it's not breaking the app. Yeah. So I could leave it in and get that protection or notification uh, in that particular case. So I just need to spend a little extra time thinking through as then I go through and test it, but then test it all, and then I can switch it over You know, because we start off with, hey, I can put things into audit mode, Right when you're configuring it, audit, enforce, or off. Right, I got the three three different choices. Mm -hmm. uh, I can then click it over to enforce once I've tested that. You know, these PowerShell commands are they um, in the box by default, or do you need to download something to augment the PowerShell namespace? Is it one of those things that you can just run on any desktop right it's now? In, it's in the box. Yeah, so you yeah. can just go to like you know get mp because it's part of the Windows Defender, right? So cool. you actually get the full configuration of Defender, and here's where we can see I've got a couple of rules lit up. You know, one of them being the LSAS rule, which is this one, mm -hmm. the second one. 
and you can see the configuration as well, that one is enabled. Cool. So I can see exactly all the things that are configured there. Awesome. Well, I think that's a good stop to, place to stop. Uh, very interesting, very interesting. I really enjoyed that. Uh, thank you for coming in, Chris. As always, put your comments below and email us at defragtools at microsoft.com. Also remember to follow us on Twitter at defragtools and also CH9. And we will see you next week.